Hi, I'm Shona. And I'm Craig. And this is London by Lockdown, a travel podcast about falling in love with the new city in strange times, remaining curious and open, enjoying everyday discoveries and making it work. So, it's the 11th of October. It has been a while. It has been a little while. Yep. How are we travelling? Well, we've both been double vaccinated. Woohoo! Thanks, science. (laughs) Thank you very much to science down in Lewisham. At our community vaccination centre. And they just did a great, they actually did a really great job. Yeah, they got us through quickly. We got our second dose in July. So that was just a mammoth relief. It was. Wasn't really thinking about it that much, but then after we got the vaccination, just... We did. We sort of stopped and breathed a bit. The numbers were big back then. The numbers are still big now. There are 40,000 new cases a day. But now we've got to over 85% of adults vaccinated. That's like 49 million people. So we're still having hospitalisations and obviously there's still deaths, but in really much, much lower numbers. And ours was Pfizer. We had a bit of a sore arm, a bit of a headache for Mm -hmm. a couple of days. Pretty straightforward, really. And then, not because of the vaccine, but because we had this planned anyway, we went to Glasgow for a week and a half. Which was really great. We know that travelling in the middle of a pandemic isn't really optimal, but we just also thought a little bit for our mental health, just getting out of London, actually just getting out of our one-bedroom flat was, was really helpful. Do you want to mention how you responded? Oh, oh my goodness. We stayed in, in a little town called Paisley that's just outside Glasgow. And I think on our first day, we went for a walk and we just kind of walked up a not particularly huge hill and I looked out and I saw something that wasn't buildings and I almost wept. Yeah, you did. It was really quite, yeah, yeah. quite emotional, really. It was, it was. And then you went back and... I saw some highland yeah, cows. Yeah. <laughs> Which are awesome. They're really cute, but they're really big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we went and saw some lakes or... Locks. Oh, nice. And they were really gorgeous. They were really beautiful. Oh, so beautiful. Mm. I mean, that's been the good thing about opening up. Yeah. But we've also found, you know, we've had quite a bit of anxiety over yeah. the last few months. We have, so we're being a bit kind to ourselves. It's hard to sort of figure out how much of that is about opening up and how much of that is actually, you know, now that things are a little bit better than they were, just, mm. you know, just having the mental space to kind of process what's what's been happening what's happened. over the last year and a half. Yeah. yeah. You've started seeing a counsellor? I had to try a couple of people, but yes, that's been helping. Yeah, and well. you've got yeah. a good fit now. I've got a good fit and that's also still remote as well, like that's on Zoom. And you also went to see a GP about some medication as well. This person specialises in mental health. I just wasn't sleeping at all. I got the meds, haven't taken them, but I'm sleeping. <laughs> so there you go. Brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and on I think on my side too, I was doing all this research about like a show on the NHS. Because it's really important. It's really important and people have fought so hard for so long to save it and keep it and it's got this amazing history. And it just got too, it actually got quite big and overwhelming. You had to walk away. I had to walk away. Yep. Just had to, had to leave that one on the shelf for a minute. Yep. I'm also staying off all media. Like socials, BBC, ABC, everything, just staying off all that. That made a real difference, yeah, I think. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It did. And our heart and love go out to friends and family back home dealing with everything. Yeah, because yeah, Australia is really sort of taking the brunt of Delta now. Yeah. 
just to be honest, I don't think we've been able to be as supportive as we'd kind of want to be because it's just, we're well, just not as resilient, no. you know. Yeah. When we are out and about, we're still being pretty cautious. We're still being we masked up. Yep. Part of that's so that we feel more comfortable, but part of it is people are still turning up to work in places which aren't as safe as they should be. Yep. We know that there's folks who are immunocompromised that can't get the vaccine or that the vaccine's not as effective for them. So yep. that's a really tangible thing I think that we can do. Yeah. We were catching a train yesterday and we're just looking at the platform. There's probably only about 10% of people wearing yeah. masks. Yeah. In amongst that sort of mixed bag, yeah. the good and the bad, on the personal side, you've been chipping away at the amazing eight-part podcast series not quite right for us. Yep, in collaboration with Speaking Volumes. And if you haven't heard us mention that before, that's based on an anthology, also called Not Quite Right for Us, that Speaking Volumes published to celebrate its 10-year anniversary. And the anthology has work by 40 international authors who are all brilliant, it's all brilliant writing, but they're folks from underrepresented communities who we should know about, but often don't. Each episode has a theme based on a chapter of the anthology and we published Love back in June. And today we're bringing you... Travel. Whether you're able to travel at the moment or you're just looking forward to a time when you can travel, I hope you enjoy the show. Not, not, not quite, not quite, not quite right, not quite right, not quite right, right for us. Not quite right for us by Speaking Volumes is a podcast series showcasing innovative and diverse writers from underrepresented communities, reflecting on experiences of outsiderness and their defiance against it. Not Quite Right For Us is based on an anthology of the same name, which is published by Speaking Volumes and Flipped High Publishing. In this episode, we'll hear I Am No Less by Michelle Carhill, Prologue from Abolition by Gabriel Gadamosi, and We Wait by Rafif Ziada. Our guide is author and actor Pauline Melville. Well, I have to explain first that my background is my father was mixed race, Amerindian, African Guyanese, Portuguese, Scottish, a big mixture. And my family over there obviously looks very different from my mum's family, which was an English family over here. I have dual nationality. I'm Guyanese and I'm British. I am a woman of colour who looks white. So I'm haunted by a past that is not visible in me. I started work in the theatre and in film, television, but then I switched to writing because as an actor, I was never going to get parts of an African Guyanese, for instance, because I don't look like that. But I do have that experience to be able to write about that. And I've really been writing ever since. Acting and writing both involve being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, being able to imagine what it's like to be somebody else. And actually not always a person. Look at Kafka, Metamorphosis. He has to imagine what it's like to be an insect. I really think the power of the imagination is huge. Once you start reducing a writer basically to their autobiography, you start to limit literature.
episode of Not Quite Right for Us is about travel. Speaking volumes digs up and unearths voices that have been buried. Words do influence. Words have influence, not just fiction, but non-fiction. Laws are written down in words that can control us. I Am No Less by Michelle Cahill. I am no acronym, nor a hyphen, but Indian in blood, colour, English in taste, tongue, Portuguese in spirit, my Christianity disinherited, freed by Dharma, an equal citizen, my skin measured by white space. I am not a subject to be read, bewildering, ironic, as the double tropes of conversion, patronised no longer, my mind captive to identity, to borders, dreaming this contrapuntal life revived in words. More of a pantomime girl, <clears throat> standing with the damp pigeons by the ashen river, blowing incandescent bubbles through metal loops of varied shapes and size as the crowd veers past her, trying to hold just one. Small things agree if one is stateless or weaponized by the state that cares only if we are alive or dead. First memories are cherished. I remember the pavilion, the merry-go-round, daffodils blooming, everything fizzing. I would rather parachute from the skies, speak a green rustle in dappled light, flare like autumn leaves. Be a child running circles around a fountain as laughter echoes in a square canopied by elders, giant trees. But a white boy teased me, someone else spat, so that right here in this juvenile courtroom forever locked, my colonial subject was stamped, doubly betrayed, another lie leaking from the torn, hymen of history, because who on earth is brave enough to admit being half-caste is being someone else's armour? They will mock and beam in approval over and over, so the true occasion for sanctuary is never born. We are not that different despite skin colour or rank. Who can take from us what we cherish most, unmistakable, as the dark, ragged ink of the clouds, or the scent of fresh air after rain. Years melt, the words vanishing in smog, like Waterloo's taxis. I cannot say precisely why it feels quite so. Maybe the certainty of this diasporic unmaking Knowing the voice I have cherished belongs. The city slinks, snow is mute, numb as my teeth. Snow is the dirty white music of suffering. Only to linger, to watch the muddy swans shuffle from a polluted lake, 
joggers walk running while lovers neck and dogs defecate to watch a row of brick houses with twin chimneys reflect in the pond at twilight. There is a rickshaw parked outside Birkbeck, a bicycle chained to the paling. The tube is billowing with an ache as commuters return to the brown-coloured suburbs. As a woman in a sari ambles along the sinking jetty. Trust me. I have a sort of inkling that sometimes we do write to put a story one way in order to cover up something else that we're but we prefer to keep quiet about. You know, writing is quite mysterious, the process. If you were digging in the earth and you had a trowel, you'd make a hole and you'd throw the earth away and that earth would cover up something else. And I think probably writing is similar. Ted Hughes, the poet, said, and I don't quite know what he meant. I'm going to paraphrase. He said something like, writers write in order to conceal things, in order to keep things hidden. So there's you know, ambiguity about writing, whether people write to reveal something or actually to hide something. There are many different stories, and they're told from many different perspectives, and it's which ones you choose to hear that are important and which ones you choose to avoid. We tend to choose to listen to the stories that back up our own prejudices. It's quite important to read stories that challenge your ideas. But how do you get hold of these things? Where are they? Where are these stories? Speaking volumes does give a voice to silenced writers. Excerpt, prologue from Abolition by Gabriel Gadamosi. The Dead List. Cabin of the Blackamoor Jenny. Tom writes in the ship's book. The surgeon dictates, cleaning and gathering his bloody tools into a bag. Nicholas, before the mast, with an intermittent fever. Mr. Young, apprentice sailmaker, with a bilious fever. The armorer died. The cook died. The carpenter, with a headache but refused medicine, died. Jack Reynolds died. Jack Strawn with a diarrhea. Harry, with the bloody flux. The boy, Peter, Died. The surgeon stops, gazing in air as if trying to remember someone. Tom waits a moment. Should we not record the cause of death in all cases? By all means, Purser. Your guess is as good as mine. <sighs> Does that complete the dead list? The surgeon gestures for him to continue writing. To date, 5th of March, 1792. Arrived at our moorings at the mouth of the Niger with 47 crew. In three weeks of our stay on the coast, 11 sewn in their hammocks and committed. And a further seven took ill with exhaustion and fever. The rump of our crewmen stalked by the yellow jack, 
murderous fellow, somewhat shadowy in appearance. His attack made even more terrible by the ivory yellowness of his skin and teeth, and the suddenness of death on his approach. Officers of the Afterguard being, of course, exempt. Tom has stopped writing. He crosses out and turns the book toward the surgeon. Sign here. Mr. Jones, surgeon. What's this? The captain enters. Drawing up the dead list, sir. <sighs> Waste work. The cargo's not complete. I want my men up and doing. The dead? <laughs> Sarcasm, surgeon. Your knife were better honed in finding cures. The best cures to be away on open sea. The crew need air and food and rest to be better provisioned and out of the way of the coast. This is hopeless. No work, no food. We go nowhere without a full haul. You can't starve sick men. <laughs> you argue with me? Without a crew, Captain, we're stuck. The captain strikes down the surgeon, wounding him in the head. Tom, in shock, instinctively bends to him. Leave him! Die and be damned! Tom hesitates, then disobeys. He helps the surgeon back onto a chair. The surgeon takes a swab from his bag and holds it to the wound. He looks at the captain. Not dead, Captain Knox. Sir, you may chance to need me yet. Sometimes I write about injustice and I want to show that. Sometimes it's because I've seen an image or an image has occurred to me and I want to explore that. And sometimes I want to sort of discuss themes. I never want to preach. I'm very aware that that Amerindian experience could be being destroyed. And I wanted to explore how it could be preserved. So that was a sort of theme that, that has haunted me. And of course, migration. There are very strange, powerful spirits in Guyana. And I wondered if the migrants from Guyana brought them with them or if they left them behind. I decided in the end that they probably just stay in Guyana. For me, it's transformative, great writing usually, from smallest detail to vast expanse of ideas and somehow marrying the two, as well as illuminating the human condition and you kind of get knocked flat by it when you come across it. We Wait by Rafif Ziada. This morning, this morning stretches into a visa line across Damascus. This morning stretches into a visa line across Damascus and the horizon still unforgiving. We hold open passports and scars. There are legal documents to trace our goodbyes. There are suitcases stuffed with ash. This morning stretches into a visa line across Damascus to Athens and the horizon still unforgiving. 
We hold open passports and scars. There are legal documents. There are always legal documents to trace our goodbyes. There are suitcases stuffed with ash. Across the gates, they look beyond us. Across the gates, they still look beyond us. And the line, the line wraps neatly around the corner and we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait. We're not quite right, you see. We're not quite right. The smell of escape is in our bones. Our teeth not shiny enough. We're not quite right. The smell of escape in our bones. Our teeth not shiny enough. And this morning, this morning continues to stretch into visa lines, unforgiving and absolute, into visa lines, unforgiving and absolute, head down in surrender. There are no fig trees or hills to hold us anymore. We run from earth to water to silent skies. There are no fig trees or hills to hold us. We run from earth to water to silent skies. But we're not quite right. No matter what we do, we're not quite right. For the soldier who watches gates, the official who inspects, the welfare officer who checks we're not quite right for the soldier who watches gates. For the official who inspects and inspects and inspects and the welfare officer who checks and double checks and double checks. Just how an extra loaf of bread made its way to our table. Just how an extra loaf of bread made its way to our table across the gates. Across the gates, they look beyond us, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. You've been listening to Gabriel Gadamosi, Michel Carhill, and Rafif Siada with Pauline Melville and Lucy Hanna. Music composed by Dominique Lejean. Speaking Volumes presents and promotes new and underrepresented voices to diverse audiences. The Not Quite Right For Us anthology celebrates 10 years of Speaking Volumes. It's published by Flip Die Publishing and it features 40 international writers. The anthology is available at all good bookshops or you can order from Flip Die at www flipdie.net For more information about Speaking Volumes, go to www.speakingvolumes.org.uk The Not Quite Right For Us podcast is produced by Craig Garrett and Shona Hawkes in collaboration with Speaking Volumes. The actors appearing in Gabrielle Gadamosi's piece Abolition were Joe Hughes as Tom the Purser Danny Nutt as Mr. Jones, the surgeon. Owen Oakeshott as John Knox, the captain. And Rex Abano as Mr. Palmer, the bosun. <laughs>